Hello, everyone. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to Grey Mirror, a podcast from MIT Media Lab's Digital Currency Initiative on technology, society, and ethics. And unlike something like Black Mirror, which just looks at the negative impacts of technology on society, we are Grey Mirror, so we look at the positive and negative impacts of technology on society. And please, if you have any feedback, reach out on Twitter. And if you like the show, give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, so today I chat with Tim Huang. Tim is the executive director of the Ethics and Governance of AI Initiative at MIT and Harvard. And we mostly chat about AI ethics, but also chat a bit about the Awesome Foundation, which is this grant giving program that he created a while ago. Um, And so I want to kind of highlight three big things here. The first is on how companies, um, the state and civil society interact, especially around AI ethics. So if you think about, you have companies, companies make their money through profits um and then you have on the other side there's states and they make their money through taxes um but then civil society is this kind of this weird third space it's like unions and universities and whatever and it's less clear how they make their money right it they they kind of raise it uh in different ways and it's more difficult for them to get capital and that's especially crucial when you think about in the context of ai ethics here these civil society social movements that come up they're like hey you guys should care more about ai ethics those then start to be, because those movements don't naturally have capital accessible to them, they kind of get co-opted by the companies. Um, and, and so an example of this is something like Fat Star, this Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency Conference. And I'm not saying it's fully co-opted, but that is a, a conference of people who are chatting about these really important it- issues in AI ethics. But at the same time, it's sponsored by DeepMind and Google and Microsoft and Twitter and Spotify. And so there's this question here of, hmm, if you have some kind of movement, some civil society movement, how is that movement getting capital? And then if it eventually starts getting capital from something like, you know, companies and their profits, does the movement, is it getting co-opted at all? And so the second piece here is on building a field. And the Digital Currency Initiative is thinking a lot about this as we try to build the field of crypto and blockchain technology and also thinking about crypto ethics. And so I asked him about how he's helped build the field of AI ethics. And one interesting piece is that he said, hey, you know, something like this Fat Star Conference, it's been super successful at pulling over developers to tackle these hard problems. And that's essentially exactly what this guy Thomas Kuhn, who wrote The Structure of Scientific Revolution, said when he's like, hey, you need to create crisis in the initial you know, intellectual field, and then you need to kind of gain intellectual mind share. And that's been really successful for Fat Star. They've essentially said, hey, developers, AI bias is really hard. Isn't it really interesting? And then all like the intellectual academic researcher types come over there and say, ooh, this is interesting. Um, so so that is, it's cool that that, that that theory has kind of played out in practice today. But this crisis is, we, this idea of crisis is interesting in, in how you create crisis because you try to create crisis in the initial field and you can either create something like an academic crisis like say like oh the theory's wrong or whatever or you can create a public crisis and something in ai ethics they've they've done this through this pro publica story which is this famous story that showed you know how um is about criminal justice system and recidivism rates and how the ai has kind of biased bait you know racial bias baked into it and and everyone knows that story it's a very powerful meme that has spread and so when you think about crises you shouldn't just think of them from an academic sense, but you should also think of them as like a public kind of meme sense. And I was thinking about this, like, what is this for crypto? What are the stories that everybody knows with cryptocurrency and how can we push something like crypto ethics 
uh, with these stories. So I'm thinking about things like the Blockchain Bros article or, you know, the Genie Coefficient piece from Balaji from Coinbase or maybe it's something around the DAO hack or the parity hack or the Zcash bug. So, yeah, this is kind of a, a meta thought here is what, are, what is the clear, quick and grokkable story that you can tell people to create crisis in a given field to pull people into a new field? So that's kind of the second piece. And the third piece is just quickly on the Awesome Foundation. And the Awesome Foundation is a grants program that Tim founded a while ago where, you know, 10 people donate 100 bucks a month to create a $1,000 grant, and then they give it to someone to do something awesome. That I, as I asked him about his learnings with this program, and an idea that keeps coming up with people that run these grant programs is, hey, the money itself, although it matters, it doesn't matter that much. So, I mean, obviously, if you're giving money to the, you know, 750 million people in extreme poverty who make less than $2 a day, well, then the money matters a lot, you know, meeting those basic needs. But in the developed world, if you're giving money to folks here, the money is important, but it's in some ways less important than the social aspects here. The, the signaling, the commitment, those the, the community building. So, so that's something to keep in mind as, as you think about giving money away and as you think about these grant programs is how much does the money matter versus how much is do the social aspects matter. Cool. So with that, I uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode with Tim. As a quick note, some of the sound is a little bit choppy. Uh, the recording wasn't perfect, but you don't lose much of the content, though it might be a little bit choppy or annoying to listen to. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, Enjoy today's episode. Goodbye. Uh, Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to Gray Mirror, a podcast from the MIT Media Lab on technology, society, and ethics. Uh, And today, I'd like to welcome Tim Huang to the show. Tim, he does a lot of things in his background, but he currently directs the Harvard-MIT Ethics and Governance of AI Initiative, which is a $26 million fund for AI ethics. Um, And he also... In the past, has done cool things like he was the director of public policy, the public global public policy lead for um, AI and machine learning at Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also going to chat a little bit about this thing, Awesome Foundation, uh, and then this weird new trade cooperative journal uh, <laughs> as well. So, Tim, thanks for being here. Yeah, Welcome. thanks for having me. Uh, and we're doing this live in person in the media lab, which is always fun. Uh, so, Tim, let's start. Let's we're going to bucket. It's like three big categories. Okay. Right? The AI ethics category, the awesome foundation, mm-hmm. and then kind of the stuff at the end. The sure. Cooperative. So let's start with AI ethics. Yep. Could you give an overview on kind of uh, the initiative that you're leading and, and the goals of that initiative? Sure, definitely. So the ethics and governance of AI initiative was started about two years ago now. Um, and it's essentially a kind of wild coalition of various entities. So on one hand, you have a bunch of foundations. Uh, there's the Knight Foundation, the Omidyar Network, uh, the Hewlett Foundation, and then the person of Reid Hoffman, uh, the LinkedIn co-founder. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then on the other side, you have the MIT Media Lab and the Berkman Klein Center, the Harvard Berkman Klein Center. And the goal is really kind of this hybrid project. On one hand, um, the initiative gives out uh, grants. So we work with activists and researchers and various NGOs. The other piece is actually that it goes to fund researchers at those two institutions, the Media Lab and Berkman Klein, um, to kind of push ahead research uh, on sort of the governance of these technologies. Now, you know, with the title like the Ethics and Governance of AI Initiative, the question is, wait, what do you guys actually do here? Um, And uh, we largely work, I would say, in three things. One of them is uh, thinking about the ethics of this uh, technology as far as it's implemented in the criminal justice system. Uh, Some thinking about how it influences the flow of information. That's kind of the second category. And the third one is something I'd call sort of international norms. So um, it's kind of a wide-ranging effort. Um, It's a lot of herding cats, but it's uh, also a ton of fun. Yeah, that's a norms piece. I'm I'm especially interested in diving in there. So more about what what the goal of that norms piece is. Sure, definitely. So I think a lot of people 
people like to say we're shaping norms, but the real question is shaping norms to what end? Um, and I think the kind of bare facts of it are that a lot of the research is being pushed ahead by a relatively small number of companies. How do you shove these companies around? And so I think we've landed on norms from a kind of pragmatic point of view, which is it seems to be the lever that we can use in many different ways as a way of kind of shaping company behavior. Yeah. And I can go into what I mean by that. That, that, means, no, that makes yeah, a lot sure. of sense. I mean, it's, it, you're saying, hey, we want to, let's say the end is make a better world. We don't have to define that. Sure. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that too. I mean, we got to be concrete <laughs> uh, about Consequentialism, that, right? whatever. Sure, but, um, sure. uh, yeah, and then the norms in order to shape that. Um, and, and as you're saying, it's like, oh, we can go through the political means, but maybe that might not work sure. as well. You know? So let's actually try to shape the norms of, of these people within these companies. Is it... Are you trying to like like work with like the individuals in those companies directly and have them uh, like folks like Google be um, when they when they all write their petition to say like hey let's not do this kind of bad <laughs> uh -huh. thing is it that what you're talking about or what kind of can, give some like specifics around definitely norms. so I think there's two kinds of norms that we try to chase after uh, one of them is maybe not the a surprising one right which is public norms right which is um, what is the market of consumers that might buy AI products um, think about this technology? Um, and I think that has kind of some of the regional aspects we we're talking about, mm -hmm. right? Which is we can think about shaping publics here in the U.S. because we're based in the U.S. Uh, or we can think about shaping publics uh, and their kind of views and knowledge about the technology internationally as well. That's one route. The other route, I think, really depends on this really interesting historical progress in AI, which is that for a long time it was essentially considered a total dead end. Do those researchers feel like they are ethical and unethical uses of their technology? Do they see it? That's where some of the maneuvering comes in. So I think there's like this kind of norm shaping through the labor market. You know, norm shaping through the labor market. And mm -hmm. I've done this a bit within the cryptocurrency world. It's mm -hmm. like, and you're kind of being like, hey, people who are building this stuff, like, be nice or whatever. And I guess, I guess there's kind of this, how do you, um, it, it feels like you're trying to, like, incept ethics within these people to some extent. Um, uh, we were, we were never here. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so there's like this weird peer pressure vibe there. I don't know. What do you, do you feel any of that or am I doing it wrong? No, I don't think so. So, um... So one of the one of the groups that we're very excited by is the fairness, accountability, and transparency in machine learning movement. Yeah. Um, and I think what's most intriguing there is the notion that you basically kind of translate some of your ethical concerns into problems that the field finds extremely interesting. Yeah, I mean, this loops into, and I want to ask you about this as well. So with the digital currency initiative, we're trying to build the field of blockchain and cryptocurrency mm -hmm. technology, sure. uh, and it's. It's difficult because it's interdisciplinary in various ways, and then it's part of it. it's like, okay, we want to bring in ethics as a piece to that. Mm -hmm. And as you say, as we're starting to think about it, there's this book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Mm -hmm. uh, have you read that book? Classics, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. great book. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and a key part of it is saying, hey, if you're trying to build new fields, mm -hmm. you're essentially trying to show crises in the existing field and then show it. Like, you're, you're trying to pull mindshare mm -hmm. um, into this new field, and that's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, hey, researchers, you know, fairness is hard. Like, come over here and work <laughs> on these interesting fairness problems. And then as as they start that, then they kind of uh, go down the path of the the the, uh, the gateway drug. That's right. Yeah. I so, mean, I, I think there is an interesting question on just like, I mean, I think what Kuhn uh, doesn't talk so much about is like how much could you actually engineer this process, mm -hmm. which I think is what we're debating. Yeah, right. Yeah, is yeah. it like we talk a lot about field building? Is it actually in practice possible to you know get all the stars to line up right for this to occur? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think what's what's interesting is that frequently a lot of the theory doesn't actually reflect how it actually happens in practice. So like I was joking with someone recently, I was like, well, you know, maybe one of the greatest tips for creating a new academic field is we should just find two academics that really hate each other's guts and fund both of them to work on conflicting things because nothing generates more academia than two researchers that don't like 
like each other, yeah, yeah. right? And like, I think there's like a lot of kind of interesting real politique and in somehow some of this happens. Yeah. So as we think about, you know, building the field of blockchain and crypto, mm -hmm. and have you seen this ProPublica story? Yeah, exactly. Right, like that is just a stock thing that you have in every single, like I think story I think is very informative because it points to the idea that like, when people think about a technology, they don't really think about, mostly think about like, a handful of cases mm -hmm. that really capture or dramatize the problem yeah. in cryptocurrency, right? Which is a technology that is like famously hyped, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There's the chances to kind of throw bricks in ways that kind of capture the public discussion yeah. that in turn kind of motivate technical work. Yeah. Um, and so, so I guess that's maybe one thought about that. Yeah, no, no, no yeah. I, I agree that that's interesting. So let's, let's dive in specifically on the, uh, the ProPublica story for a second. Sure, yeah, yeah. The, the AI, so um, it's in this big field of, of AI bias mm -hmm. and, um, uh, I guess, could you, the, the thing I want to dive in on specifically mm -hmm. is um, this piece that Joey had recently, Joey Ito, about mm -hmm. AI as a um, mirror or AI as a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. um, and the mirror, the, the crystal ball one is like, oh, you know, XYZ is more likely to go back to, to have a high recidivism rate. Mm -hmm. So like, let's, you know, make sure that happens or whatever versus mm -hmm. AI sure. as a mirror. Uh, yes, that's right. Right. Like I think what's frequently confused about AI is the notion that it's like the AI and it does the thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, and I think we do have to think about like how much the different use cases or different purposes, or if you really want to get elaborate about it, like the intents of the person who's deploying the system really actually influences the ethical considerations uh, around the technology. I guess my little twist on maybe Joey's model yep. is to basically say it's interesting to think about when we use it as a crystal ball, when we use it as a mirror, but it's almost intriguing to think about when we think we're doing a crystal ball, when we're actually doing a mirror, or when we think we're doing a mirror, but actually doing a crystal ball, right? And I think those are really intriguing cases, right? It's question of like how deep you need to go in changing the techniques of AI in order to do that, right? Like if like I think like the, the question of like how far you need to go on some of this stuff in order to create like social change, um, I don't know, it's, it's very complicated. So let's let me let's transition to another specific thing that you sure. guys just did, which is uh, you recently announced you are giving seven hundred fifty thousand bucks to six different people. Yeah, six different projects um, yeah, yeah. to do AI and new stuff. Sure, um, yeah. and there are lots of cool, interesting projects there. Mm -hmm. But I actually wanted to push back on one of them. Sure, um, there's the it's the Rochester Institute of Technology, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I obviously I didn't go dive deep on what exactly it's doing, but it looks like it's trying to get humans to understand what is fake, what is not fake. Um, and for me, whenever I see stuff like this in order to like start to beat I get worried about arms races here where you have like the humans trying to determine stuff and then the AI just gets better mm -hmm. um, so I guess tell me more about this um, <laughs> this uh, this project and and how you feel about arms races for determining AI fakeness. Sure, because the counter argument is we're already in a cognitive arms yeah, race, yeah. right? That like essentially like fakery is always attempting to improve, and in fact the reason that it's convincing fakery is that it, it has like got around something we're already prepared for yeah. essentially. Yeah. And so yeah, so I mean, do I believe that there will be new t new tools that need to emerge to find um, ways in which people are faking using machine learning? Sure, mm -hmm. yeah, totally. Uh, I think my main fear is that we focus too much on the technology, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and I mean, that's almost a different critique, right? Is that like, you know, the question isn't necessarily like, is the video look real? The question is like, why do people believe the narrative, yeah. right? And my worry is if we're always chasing the technology, you'll always be behind. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that is where a lot of people seem to be coming around these days. If you talk to like, 
media forensics people, right? Yeah. So like even in the absence of AI, like the people who are responsible, for, mm-hmm. right? They're like, what is this purporting to depict? Mm-hmm. But then actually a lot of the work is like, is there corroborating evidence? Is there like someone else who is there? Mm-hmm. Like those will still work in a world of AI fakes. Yeah. And so I don't know, I just think that like the discussion will have to be more nuanced, even though for sure, I think the technology does pose a threat and in a number of cases has posed a threat in a number of cases already. Yeah, so let me, let me, let me explore that for one mm-hmm. quick second more, which is I feel like, uh, I mean, the, your, your three categories that you outlined earlier, mm-hmm. they both seem uh, a little bit more tech-heavy in the sense, or I, I think it would be interesting mm-hmm. if more f- more AI ethics funds came about that were purely focused on the like the human systems side of things, mm-hmm. um, where you concentrate entirely on how humans are responding to it, and, 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 and maybe this is already part of, of, clearly it's already part of your thinking, but I guess mm-hmm. um, I feel like a lot of this stuff gets sucked when you think about AI ethics, people get sucked towards the technology um, and, and put their concentration and effort there. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll say actually. I mean, I think it is a it is a uh, sign of vulnerability in civil society that essentially the whole space has been dragged along as corporate messaging has changed. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like no surprise that the academics that worked on big data became academics that worked on algorithms, and then finally became academics that worked on AI. Right. And it basically marks the fact that you know philanthropies and researchers have a hard time like controlling the terms of the debate. And in fact, they are dragged along every time a marketing department is like, we're going to talk about AI now. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I mean, I think that that is, that is part of the trouble, right? Is like, yeah, we really should be talking about the human systems, mm-hmm. right? But I think from the, the real politique of funding and research mm-hmm. makes it actually very challenging to pull off in practice. Yeah, so how are we going to, I mean, recently on the show I had Glenn Weil, who's interested in, in funding civil society with some of these new economic mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and civil society, from whatever perspective, like the classic Putnam perspective, where it's like, oh, the third spaces are going away or whatever, mm-hmm. um, do, in, in the, the picture that you just painted there, was kind of sad. It, what would you think, what are some solutions that you may have to, to create a more robust civil society? Yeah, I guess I don't necessarily see it as a sad picture. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess I think a lot about like mimetic irregular warfare, mm-hmm. right? Like, so I met a really smart activist who kind of articulated this strategy to me where she was basically like, look, I don't care about AI at all. Mm-hmm. Like, just it's, it's totally irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do care about a number of other issues though. And so what I do is essentially say, I'm going to take all the issues I'm really worried about, convert them into AI, right? And then like ride the hype wave to like public influence. Yeah. And, you know, I think you could, you could say that your, your bug is a feature, right? Essentially that because the industry tends to focus on these single memes, that gives you like things that you can actually attack, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's a really powerful. So I think in the, like, again, like the pragmatic politics of it, like I think there are some weird advantages, even though we're kind of like rhetorically moved as, as they move. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> what she called the mimetic? Uh, irregular war- warfare. Okay. Well, in the sense that, right, you're like kind of behind enemy lines here, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're like I'm just going to use totally. AI or like whatever you want to say. Yeah, exactly. And like, Push you know, my agenda, yeah, like yeah. My, my real beef is like, yeah. I don't know, structural racism, exactly. Exactly. right? But like, if we have to talk in these terms to get the public to pay attention, then, uh, then so be it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So. Um, so let's kind of zoom out a bit for a second to sure. the... Uh, Talking about the AI ethics space more generally uh-huh. and the, the explosion of various um, things, and especially recently the, the Google um, ethics board that was created and <laughs> destroyed. They had quickly. a little bit of trouble there. That was <laughs> That's a good way to say it, yeah. So maybe a, a quick note about Google, which I think is actually pretty interesting, yeah, yeah. right? Is there any configuration of people that Google could have had on that board? And in my mind, the answer is no, yeah. right? Like I think that like what the what this effort shows is that Google 
like just wants so hard to be loved, right? That they will try whatever, you know, believing over and over that like they will finally do the thing that changes public opinion. But, you know, again, I think like the, the background is corporate power and the fact that like there's not a lot of trust in these companies already. And I think by far in some ways, I think one of the interesting things we're seeing is the distinction between the companies that still feel they can change the tide and the companies that have felt like game's already over, we'll just be quiet and move along. And I think we will see more and more of that as we go, as I think companies learn their lesson pretty quickly about what does and doesn't work in the space. Yeah, so what you're saying with that, the second point is that uh, for someone like Facebook, maybe they're like, they didn't even try to create an ethics board. They already knew that if whatever ethics board they created, it was going to get shot down. Um, and then the Google one, they were like, oh, maybe we can create this ethics board. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, that's right. And I think for a lot of these efforts, it's sometimes easy to forget, like, um, what is what is external messaging may actually be more internal messaging yeah. more than anything else. Like mm-hmm. why you create this board may be more like intra-company, intra-company competition mm-hmm. more than it is like a mastermind PR effort. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's one bracket, right? Is to think about like that particular Google case and what it reveals. I think more generally in the AI ethics space, I think you know there is a really interesting question about like will the companies adopt this meme but in a reductionist way mm-hmm. which is i think a big certainly a big point of debate among the fat star sort of community but i think more generally is i think something we should be worried about right like the notion of saying like well yeah you know we work on fairness we have researchers that work on fairness it's ethics ai ethics washing or ai ethics theater yeah as these teams start to do this internally will civil society be able to keep the door open and yeah. make sure that they are held accountable true and i think intriguingly the question of whether or not civil society can stay together i think is also a really big interesting question mm-hmm. right in the sense that i think a lot of people working on fairness or social justice in the technology have for a long time had this very tenuous alliance between two groups right one group I think is concerned about like the broad structural change necessary to deal with like the big problem, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think in some cases they are okay with making the argument that categorically the technology shouldn't actually be there. Mm-hmm. Just don't implement it, mm-hmm. right? There's another group which has said basically that the primary problem with machine learning is that it is negligently deployed, mm-hmm. right? Like that if you were only a little bit more sensitive to the way you put these systems together, they could do a lot of good for the world, right? And I would say like the history of the last I don't know, 48 months, right, has basically been these two groups together throwing bricks at the companies, being like, you don't care about this issue at all. You should be caring about it more. Mm-hmm. But I think that what's intriguing is now that they've kind of won the first battle, which is that companies are like, we need ethics boards, or like, we're investing in fairness and AI. Now the question is, what, what, is, what does this community demand, yeah. right? Does it, man- does it say like, okay, we're going to collaborate with you in trying to make these systems incrementally better? Mm-hmm. Or will they say, no, we don't even want that. We still want you to go even further, mm-hmm. right? We want you to, we want you to um, have representative boards that help define whether or not you design and implement certain products, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that question of like whether or not the um, kind of more categorical folks or the more sort of uh, incremental folks yeah. uh, will be able to kind of keep together. Because they've been successful so far, but I think there's a very interesting question of strategy there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, evolution or revolution kind of vibe. That's right, yeah. And uh, you could say, I mean, this is how a lot of movements evolve, right? Like eventually you have one group that kind of like is really punching as hard as they can. And the other group is able to kind of be the like the person at the table that's like, don't, they're crazy. We're happy to work. And then like change happens as a result, right? So maybe things are working exactly as they should be. But I think it's an interesting problem. Um, Cool. So that's actually, uh, that was all fun, but we're going to transition away from AI ethics (laughs) um, to chatting about the Awesome Foundation. So the Awesome Foundation is a very simple idea. Uh, Basically, the notion is you get $100 a month 
And then that forms a $1,000 grant, which goes to a project. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, I think for me, I think it's an awesome ability to be like, I don't need this money. Like, do people in my community want it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, yeah, and it, you can see it kind of trickle down into one of my favorite examples was uh, this person that won one of the grants. They put, a, they put, they took their thousand um, bucks, turned it into $110 bills, mm-hmm. and just put those $10 bills in like <laughs> books in various <laughs> random places with little nice notes. That's great. Like, I haven't hey, seen that one. Like, That's awesome. And it's like abundance begets abundance. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, so, I mean, do you have any uh, – well, l- let me ask this question actually, which is I think – I personally think that these kind of self-taxing uh, – so so to fully reveal my hand here, I, I, I'm a – I um, self-tax myself 20% of my mm-hmm. post. Uh, so I make 70000 a year, 18000 mm-hmm. goes to the government, $10,000 goes to various uh, – any kind things. of civil society okay. kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, charities, whatever. Sure, um, sure. And so I th- – and I think that this is actually – we're getting to the point where more like I can do this and feel totally cool and feel and like it doesn't hurt me at all. It feels mm-hmm. like, um, but it also and, and I think that there's you have something like the uh, Awesome Foundation and you have a bunch of these like effective altruist movements, which mm-hmm. are people who are, want to give their money for good in this mm-hmm. a similarish way. What are your thoughts on like whether more people, whether like Awesome Foundation things should spread in a big way or like how important self taxing is to the world? Yeah, any kind of exploratory brainstorm thoughts? Yeah, sure. Right, like the bigger thing is that you have 10 people that are the community's attention on a project. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm really interested in that. Rob. No, I mean, I think that's, uh, and, and this lady, Nadia Eggball, who does these grants, um, she has a, came to a similar conclusion, which is mm-hmm. just like, the money doesn't matter as much as like the, the, the mentorship or the connections that she gives and the mm-hmm. fact that they now feel accountable. Um, and then I'm also reminded of the Pioneer, um, which is this new fund out of um, Silicon Valley, which just like funds people. It's like 6,000 bucks, so it's like not very much money, mm-hmm. but it's people really like being part of it because then they get the the social implications of A, needing to actually try really hard to make, to, to get the money and then feeling like they're part of the community mm-hmm. and things like that. So yeah, I think that is a, um, the, the money as a signaling function rather than as the thing that actually provides the needs. Yeah, that, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have found actually like in, in the, in early days, I think the demographics have changed, but in the early days, actually a lot of people who did awesome foundation were essentially like frustrated philanthropists mm-hmm. because like the structure of philanthropy was such that they were like, well, I work on these jobs where I give money to stuff that I don't really care about. Mm-hmm. And like, there's all this bureaucracy. And so like the immediacy of being like, that's a super cool project. Here's an envelope of cash yeah. to go work on it. Uh, I think w- was like a very powerful thing. Yeah. And I think there is kind of an interesting question of like, you know, what does that say about philanthropy as a whole, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I was talking to someone recently about like, oh, well, what if we just created foundations that were just like had to spin down after a period of time? They were just like temporary in nature. Mm-hmm. And as a result, didn't like generate a lot of the like self-sustaining problems that you, you see in those types of institutions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, one thought experiment I've been really thinking uh, about a lot is like, um, if you had a legal mechanism like antitrust yeah. for for the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. can and should you use it ever, mm-hmm. right? Like the ethics of that are sort of interesting, mm-hmm. right? Like. Well, there's only certain things the Gates Foundation can take on because they have so much money. But on the other hand, would we be better off if there were two foundations with different interests that had half of the money? Yeah. Like, I think that's that, that question is really interesting. And like, you know, how would you define a market for philanthropy? And like, what are the terms under which you'd exercise this type of authority? Yeah. Um, with the AI fund, you uh, had your you, you the, the six projects that you funded with these grants recently. You did a big call for proposals, mm-hmm. and a bunch of people applied to it. I think that community, the Awesome Foundation, is similar in the sense mm-hmm. it's like. Hey, like let's like enable the crowd to do things, yeah. and, um, and people can apply. Mm-hmm. What do you have any like meta learnings or big learnings about how like the best ways to enable the crowd or to work with the crowd? 
Yeah, I would say, I mean, generally I, I am still, I'm old fashioned in that I'm a crowd optimist, <laughs> uh, but a little bit like kind of how the rhetoric around, you know, again, with all the problems, right? Like Wikipedia has changed, where I think the initial view on it was like unstructured. Everybody's just coming together to like form their own thing. <laughs> Um, has given way to an understanding like, wow, actually, there's like a very elaborate bureaucracy that sits behind this website. Um, you know, I think the question is like, what's the minimum viable structure necessary in order to get good community behavior to occur, mm -hmm. right? You don't want to go too heavy, you don't want to go too light. But I do, I do think that we have to move away uh, from some of these early notions, right? Which were basically like, we just got to create free space and people will self-organize. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that that is not really the case. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. provide some it. direction somewhere. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think... Uh, there's especially interesting space there around some like when when with memes. Mm -hmm. I think are interesting, like Me Too or Black Lives Matter yeah, or yeah. Make America Great Again, and like how and some of these memes are coming up in the crypto world mm -hmm. and understanding how the the kinds of structures they provide around these memes because mm -hmm. they're like weirdly permissionless, mm -hmm. um, but they also want to provide some structure. Mm -hmm. and so that balance has been strange. Yeah, I've, uh, if we've got time, I've got a weird theory yeah. about this. Yeah. And the idea is back in the day, a lot of these open platforms actually forced people to kind of go through the process of self governance, mm -hmm. and they didn't always work out. But you actually learned like a bunch of rough and ready skills about like how do you get rid of a troll right like how do you moderate comments you know how do you like shut down threads or facilitate discussions and one argument you could make around the rise of things like Facebook and Twitter is that you know trust and safety teams at these companies essentially take on that task now. So we actually don't learn a lot of those self-governance skills. Mm -hmm. they learned how to self-govern themselves. It was awesome. And then over time, the the platforms that they were governing themselves on were like, oh, let's like institutionalize this and like let's make these teams. And then when they made those teams, it like wasn't nearly yeah, and, and, right. And it actually works in the reverse. Even in a world where those platforms were doing an amazing job, mm -hmm. right? Like the median user would actually not have these skills, yeah. right? So I think yeah. it's, a, it's sort of an interesting trade-off yeah, yeah, in some yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, To be clear, I have no empirical evidence for this. Totally, so this is just totally, like, totally. this is idle, like dumb thought <laughs> yeah, leadership, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, so so don't, don't believe anything I just idea said. Idea that is not yet fully formed. Right, right, exactly. Yes, that's fine, that's fine. Um, good, so let's, let's transition to the sure, final yeah, topic totally. here and then uh, some Q&A. So mm -hmm. uh, this trade journal, um, mm -hmm. I was, and I, it was funny because when I looked at it on the internet, uh -huh. I was like, there's this new trade cooperative journal. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was like a, Maybe a, like a weird meme or like uh -huh. a vaporwave. I couldn't tell. What a vaporwave. Yeah, nice. So tell us what what this thing is. Yeah. So it's a really simple idea. Uh, one of my passions for a very long time has been collecting niche trade journals. Okay. So the notion of the trade journal cooperative is it's a subscription service where once a quarter uh, you pay fifteen dollars and I send you a trade journal from a randomly selected industry. But we're not random. I like do some research to figure okay. it out. And so the first month was Elevator World, which is the trade journal for the uh, vertical transportation industry. Um, after that was American Laundry News. And then fascinatingly, this most recent issue was American Funeral Director, which is mind-bending because it's like, what do millennials do at funerals? And it's like an actual concern of the industry. So it's, yeah, it's actually been very eye-opening as a result. And so we've got this like little weird... Uh, subscription service operating. Yeah, when you think about the ones that you might produce in the future, mm -hmm. uh, or, or the ones you're going to uh, ship, yeah, ship. Yeah. 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 How do you find them? I guess. And then what are those, some of the ones that you're interested? Yeah, in? Yeah, that's a lot of research. I mean, I think one of them, which we're not going to do, uh, but people should definitely look into. Yeah is the uh, International Foundation for Arts Research, or IFAR. Mm -hmm. um, they are basically a nonprofit that's responsible for tracking art theft mm -hmm. and art forgery. Mm -hmm. And it is so good. Mm -hmm. Like the journal is just like, 
you know, and, and it's most known in the art world for something they produce called Stolen Art Alert, which is a little index at the end of the magazine that lists all the prominent art that's been stolen the last three months. Yeah. And it's like some, if you liked Carmen Sandiego as a kid, like this is the journal for yeah. you. Right? Yeah, my master plan is ultimately I want to have enough subscribers that I can go to a convention center and be like, yo, sell me a season pass. <laughs> you should be able to go on any given weekend to a convention center and just like see what's going on. That's that's where we're going. Could be potato that's where, that's world, my, could be pasta. Yeah, that's my grand vision once we see exponential growth on this thing. That's nice. all. I got it made. Nice. <laughs> well, we will be excited for when, if, when that happens. Um, good. So I think... .org, so T-I-M-H-W-A-N-G dot O-R-G. And I'm also Tim Wong on Twitter. Cool. Uh, well, thank you again so much for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> Have a nice life. Yeah.